Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Zaxby's, there's nothing better than hand-breaded chicken. Unless it's hand-breaded chicken with sauce. From sweet to savory, mild to wild, even that world-famous Zax sauce. Whatever you're craving, we've got the sauce. At Zaxby's. Okay, welcome in to another edition of the Duly Noted Podcast. I am uh, Pat Dooley, and I am on vacation, but I came in just to do a podcast for you. Uh, seriously, though, we I had some other things. It's kind of funny. I've been trying to set up two interviews for, I don't know, three weeks, and I got them both set up <laughs> for the Tuesday of my first vacation week. What are you going to do? Actually, I've had a little bit of vacation, uh, but uh, you know, the rest of this week hopefully be off and then i mean then we go man sunday robbie and i get in that car and take off for lovely hoover alabama and uh, sec media days it'll be kind of i don't know like here's the thing nobody wants to hear the media complain and we will complain about free food and we will complain about free drinks and we will complain about access to you know and all that stuff it really atlanta did not work okay it was we they called the vortex because it was so spread out and it was very you couldn't if you're a radio guy you couldn't get somebody from the print room it, it'd take them 15 minutes to get over there so guys weren't willing to do it uh hoover's going to be good again I, I i i like that it's in hoover and i'm curious to see i'm going to get with the commissioner at some point and find out what the future is are they going to go there's been a rumor about them going to dallas i think that's crazy i know um, I know there's a school out there that is in the SEC, but you know this is that's not the SEC. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But anyway, uh, looking forward to it. Although it is coming up way too fast, it just feels like uh, you know. And, and here's the weird thing: we had one one of the earliest baseball endings ever. I think it was the first time I I, I did the stat since 08 maybe that baseball and softball were both done when they were done um and so usually if you get a long baseball season like vandy for example obviously had the longest one um you then the summer really gets cut short we didn't even have that this year i guess maybe mine feels shorter because i've been doing some things went went to Asheville. went uh, saw a concert, uh, you know, just did some things. So we're just ready to get it going now. I, and I, I got to tell you, it is a boring time of the year and always is, and it's always hot. And you always try to get some time with the family, some time in the sun, and a little bit of golf in. But it starts next week. And like I have said before, I've never considered, or at least in the last few years, have not considered SEC media days to be the start of the season because there was such a spread between that and then the start of practice and the real start of the season being what six weeks away this year florida starts the week after 
we get back from SEC media days. A week later, they're cranking it up. So um, I think it's a week. Well, it's – do the math. It's about a week, yeah. So uh, it, it is coming on fast, and, and that's cool. Uh, I think everybody's excited about it. What to expect at SEC media days? Well, Florida goes the first day, so you're going to get a lot of conversations about Felipe Franks. He's going to be the poster boy for this program because he's a quarterback. And uh, he will be there. Um, obviously, uh, for Felipe, uh, it's going to be a great situation for him to hand. I'm sure he'll handle it fine. Uh, he's had a lot of experience. I think one thing that being at a school like Florida or Alabama or Georgia, schools like that, that really help you when you go to this is, I, you know, I face a bunch of media guys. I face some dumb questions. I face some dumb Pat Dooley questions. Um and I don't think there'll be anything real controversial coming out of it. You know, that's one thing we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see is, is there a big story that comes out of this? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. One year, the biggest story was that some coach didn't vote for Tim Tebow on the all-conference team. And then two days later, we find out it was Steve Spurrier. So, I, uh, you know, and it that turned into a big story. I mean uh, – you just never know what's what is going to happen. What are the big stories going to be? I'm sure there'll be discussion about going to nine games again, but always gets shot down. The, the the when the conference commissioner says, "Look, it's not something we're um, we, we're pretty happy with eight games. You know, it's working really well." Uh, there'll be a, a Nick Saban lecture, and then tell he'll tell us at some point how much he appreciates us. We know that'll that'll come. Um, and it'll be interesting because we have all the same coaches back that were there last year. Uh, so that's interesting. And, of course, in, in the case of Florida, and that'll be what we – our dominant stuff will be Florida. We'll do Florida probably uh, obviously the first day. Then we'll do people talking about Florida, then people talking more about Florida, then Florida talking more um, because we're, we're there to cover the Gators. Um, you know, in, in the old days you kind of went there and you covered everything. You know, you didn't want to get missed out on everything. The bottom line is, we, we we understand the way it is now. You guys want to read about Florida, and you might want to read a little bit about teams that are on their schedule. You don't want to read about Texas A&M, do you? Because Texas A&M is not a Florida schedule. They're not in Florida's division. What's the point? So I'm not writing about Texas A&M. I did that last year, but that was because of the. Uh, you know, it was still fresh that the wound for Florida State fans from Jimbo Fisher, and and you know we also sell papers or we part of our chain is in O'Callaghan, whereas a lot of FSU fans there are FSU fans here. Um, I'm probably over explaining why I wrote that column, but one thing that is going to be something that won't get a lot of talk in uh, Hoover is going to be Florida's roster. Um, the Florida's roster has really taken a bunch of hits. None of them serious, really. Certainly the Chris Steele one, I think I've told people this. I think I might have said it on the last podcast. Chris Steele wanted to leave. They gave him a great excuse to leave. Um, they probably was overreaction on the family's part. Whatever the case is, Chris Steele didn't want to be here. Um, and it, and if he wants to say it was because of Jalen Jones, fine. If he wants to say that he didn't think the coaches reacted quick enough, maybe he's right. 
But other than that, though, what they really lose out on with some of these guys going to the transfer portal is the depth and, and special teams, really. You think about the DBs. They, they keep losing DBs, you know, the latest being Brian Edwards. Um, Brian Edwards probably wasn't going to play a whole lot, but he would have been on special teams, and he would have helped him out there. Rashad Jackson, the same way. Uh, so these are guys who have gone out there into the transfer portal, and, of course, the portal – is a uh, it's a it's a weird place because you you some people go in and they don't come out. There's a lot of kids who can't find schools that want them after they've transferred out. Um, so you know, Florida's roster. I think I think I it's down around 78 somewhere like that. I I guess there still could be a couple of additions. Certainly some walk-ons are probably going to end up getting some scholarships. But it's it's a small concern. It's not a huge concern. Um, you know, most places, the elite programs are pushing 85, and they're, they're using uh, gray shirts and, um, you know, the walk-ons that are, are actually high-level walk-ons that can really play to get to that – to 100 players – um, but that's that's a little bit of a concern going into this season. That, that their numbers are a little bit down. Uh, managing the roster is very very difficult right now in college football with what's going on with the transfer. And I'm look I'm I've got a story going this weekend, and uh, I'm not going to talk about who it's about. But you wait, I'll wait, wait till you see it Saturday. Um, but talking about the transfer portal, talking to a certain player about it, you can probably guess who it is. And it's it's just interesting though it it comes down to what you want out of your your experience in college and I I believe this strongly whatever you, you want to do is fine that's your life if you don't want to stay at a school that's your life if you want to play and if it means playing at Jackson State rather than University of Florida maybe getting in a, a little bit here and there that's what you want to do with your life if you want to go get a, a degree from Delaware State instead of the University of Florida that's your life. Personally, I think you're making a mistake. And I think that's something that, that some of these guys don't realize is if you're leaving because you're not getting to play, you're probably not going to play in the NFL. So get that degree from the better, best school possible. You know, Malik Langham went to Vanderbilt. I can't really – great, good job for you. I think it was him, right, that went to Vanderbilt. So, um, you know he's getting to get a great degree out of that. That's that's smart. I don't. He wasn't going to play a whole lot. But again, there's another guy would have played some. Would have played some specialty. That's uh that's where there's a little bit of an issue there for Florida. Um, it's it's kind of funny because um, I've gotten asked a lot of questions about Florida during the summer, and it's it. The interesting thing is, I'll, I'll be on the same show two or three times over the summer, and they'll ask the same questions. So I know what's coming the next time I do interviews. I'll probably do 100 interviews out there. And it'll have to do with Franks, and it'll have to do with the offensive line, and how good can they be on defense, and can they – you know, the bottom line is, I, as I've been saying all along, this team could easily win 10 games again. Uh, I think it's also possible it could be 8-4. and four. Uh, I think it's going to be a very difficult schedule, and – uh, with some of the things that have uh, where they have lost some of that depth, that's a problem. However, I also, if you believe in in the coaches and what they've done and what we saw, like the improvement from uh, 
it, it's almost kind of a, a weird deal. The improvement for Florida from the last year of McIlwain to the first through the end of the first year of Mullen was incredible. It was astronomical. But again, that team kind of quit. You know, that team lost nine players. A knucklehead nine. Uh, so there's a lot of things that went into that. This team also won 19 games in the first two years of McIlwain. Now, I'm not going to get into all the reasons McIlwain's gone. We all know him. I've said him 100 times. But there was a point in his career where he was 16-3 and in SEC games and was fired three games later because there was a lot of other stuff going on. None of it illegal. Just what, you know, we all talked about what it was in terms of um, attitude and treating people the right way. So here comes Dan Mullen walks in. It's not like he inherited nothing. There were holes in the roster. He's tried to bulk them up, fill them up. At wide receiver, they're as strong as they've ever been, I think, in terms – I'm not saying they've got an Ike and a Riddell, but they've got seven or eight guys who I think can play, and that's pretty impressive. But there's still holes in this roster. It's why I – a lot of people are going to try to say, oh, you know, second year under Mullen, they're going to be something. And they may be. And this is where Dan Mullen and that staff, and, and including Nick Savage, are going to show me something, okay? They're going to show me something. And, and look, if they go 7-5, and five, it doesn't mean they didn't show me anything. Well, it means they showed me that they're, it, it's going to take a little longer than we thought. And people, that's the thing you say, well, what do you mean it's going to take longer? Well, are you kidding me? We just won 10 games and beat the snot out of Michigan. And yeah, it was really something. It was really a great finish to the season. And that's where all the momentum is with the media and, and, and with uh, fans. People are excited about it. But this is a new year, new players, new offensive line. Um, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm saying I am curious, I'm really curious uh, in fact, I was talking to some uh, Gator fans the other day about this. Really curious to see what kind of team this ends up being. Because I'm not I, – I don't know. Now, it, the thing with the SEC is there's a lot of teams I don't know about. To me, it's never been this, you know I, – I, it's not wide open. Don't get me wrong. It's still Alabama and Georgia's league and, and everybody else is just playing in it. But we're – you could see from three through ten any order. Like if you wanted to rank them, you could rank them in almost any order. You know, I, I, LSU ought to be really good this year. We're going to have Peter Burns on here to talk about the SEC and, and LSU. Of course, he he knows LSU very well. Auburn might be really good. You look at the on paper, yeah, but also look at Gus Malzahn's record four of his six years. They're, they've been awful in the SEC. Texas a and I like their I like their squad. I hate their schedule. You know, uh, Missouri, I like Missouri a lot. I just don't know if um, defensively they'll have enough. And are they, are they good enough to go to another level? You know, is Kentucky going to drop back? I don't know that they are. Okay, people are making a big deal about Benny Snell. I talked to Will Muschamp the other day. This is his best team he's had, he says. He likes his team. Okay. So there's another one. 
Mississippi, Mississippi State, no idea what kind of teams they're going to have. They might be good, but Mississippi State lost a ton of players. Uh, but, I mean, you can take all those teams and just put them in a big pile, and it, it could come out any way. I mean, look, Arkansas is – I don't know if he's the right guy for the job. I do know he's done a good job of recruiting so far, especially this this class. Um, but they're not going to be good this year. And Vanderbilt's not going to be good this year, I don't think. Uh, Tennessee is is one of those that, that's in the middle. I don't. I'm just not sure about. Um, I think Jeremy Pruitt's a really good coach. I still don't think they have enough players to win consistently. And then you see a game like last year, Tennessee over Auburn, and you go, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." That's the SEC. It's just the way it is. Um, so that, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun out there. Like I said, they are bringing up. I think all the. I think all but four quarterbacks are going to end up uh, being at SEC media days, which is cool. Um, and I was just trying to think. Of, I, I don't know this for sure, but I know, uh, for example, Auburn doesn't know who their quarterback is. They're not going to bring him. Uh, I think Arkansas is in the same boat. I think Vandy's in the same boat. Um, trying to think who else. Um, you know, Missouri knows who their quarterback is. I think Kelly Bryant's definitely going. Obviously, Tua from Burrow. It's going to be quarterback city out there in Hoover. So, and that's always kind of good. They are the faces of the program. They are who you think of when you think of those teams, and that includes young Felipe. So, um, we'll look forward to that SEC media days. There's nothing quite like it. It's it's uh, the clam. I call it the clam bake. Uh, there's a lot of um, – I, I tell you the best part of it is going to SEC Media Days and just talking to other beat writers. Now, those numbers are going down, number of beat writers that are even attending anymore. And I don't know how many more we're going to go to. We want to go, but, you know, you spend a lot of money and you it's a made, it has become a made-for-TV event. It is a made-for-the-SEC network event, and that takes a little bit away from what we can get, but – there's just enough to keep us going. But that's the best part, is you sit there with a guy like Chip Towers or you sit there with a guy like uh, you know, uh, Chris Lowe. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I think Chris is not going this year. But just some of the other writers and get a feel for what, what's really going on in that program. Because they're – I always say this, the writers don't have any agenda. You know, even the network guys have, have some kind of agenda. Writers have no agenda. It just—it's my job to cover the team. It's—it's it's Chip Tower's job to cover the team. It's John Adams' job to cover the team. Right? Whatever happens in the game, and he'll tell you, "Here's what I think of Tennessee." And I'll walk away. Usually, I walk away from those things, going, "Well, here's what I think about that." However, there is one thing that always happens at SEC media days, and that's some coach smooth talks me into believing they're better than they are. Two years ago, it was Kevin Sumlin. He got fired. I remember one year, it was Woody Woodenhofer. He had, uh, he had, I think he had Jay Cutler was his quarterback. But I, I, I thought they were a seven-win team. I think they won three. It didn't go well for them. So uh, somebody will talk me into thinking they're better than they are. Um, and like I'm on the Missouri wagon right now a little bit, and I need to. I don't know if I want to get off of it or not. But, hey, you know, what we ought to do, let's bring on Peter Burns and talk to him from the SEC Network. He'll give us a good lowdown on what's going on, and then uh, we'll come back. We'll talk a little basketball, 
We all want to talk about Mr. Two Bits and, of course, three things because this is the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Always a pleasure to be joined by my good friend Peter Burns from the SEC Network. And Peter, this summer is not a summer. I'm calling it spring on the sun because the, the uh, it's hotter than hell, but it feels like you know we're, we're going to be at SEC Media Days next week and then Florida starts practicing a week later. There, there really isn't much of a summer this year. No, and and you, not only do you have Peter Burns, you got Bo Burns as well too. It's All like right, summertime here, so I'm taking care of my little daughter, and so she's uh she's ready, man. Yeah, I mean it's, it's kind of crazy because we were over at uh, Dan Mullen's uh, charity event here what two three weeks ago, and we were talking about all right. So hey, what are your vacation plans and stuff? And he goes, I don't really have any this year <laughs> because of because of it's like you know it's not even the week zero game. It's like week minus one um, because it's so early in the year and. Um, I, again, I, I think Media Days, Pat, as you know, it kind of all automatically officially kicks my mind, your mind, the fans' minds, and even the coaches' minds into, okay, it's, uh, it, it's time to get ready for 2019, 2020. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I really feel like this is a weird season, and I'm not saying it's atypical, but we go into it. We, all, we know what Alabama is. We know what Georgia is. And then there's right. about seven – X teams, where I look at LSU and I look at Florida and I look at Auburn and and even Kentucky, A and M, Missouri, and I go, I have no idea what their record is going to be at the end of the year. It could be really good, and it could be you know they're playing, looking, hoping to get to the Belk Bowl or something like that. Um, <laughs> do you see it the same way? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I've told people that I feel like there's like three tiers at the top, and, and it's a little convoluted, so bear with me. But I feel like there's a tier one, which is Alabama and Georgia, right? I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. where right there with Clemson and where everybody else, national title contenders, there's no shock that they'd be college football playoff team, either one of them, or possibly both, as we've seen. Um, and I, I think the second tier is all by itself. And, and what I put that second tier is LSU. I think LSU is the only team top to bottom – offensively, defensively, the way the schedule sets up, that I think can compete for the college football playoff. I think everyone else is in a little bit of a tier below. Like, I have Missouri, Florida, A&M, and even Auburn kind of all in that same mode of, okay, I think they're going to be solid this year, but they're going to run through the the, just the gauntlet of SEC uh, schedule. Yeah, it makes it difficult. A and M is their schedule's brutal. I think I think they may be the third best team in the conference and it may not show up in their record just because of yeah. how tough their schedule is. I I think Florida and A and M find themselves in a similar situation as my daughter obviously disagrees yes. as you can tell she's not happy I, with it. I understand. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that they had so much success right off the bat. Um 
that I think fans are going to say, hey, listen, why not another 10-win season in Gainesville? Why not an 11-win season? You know, hey, they almost beat Clemson last year down in, uh, at a college station. Why can't Jimbo Fisher get it done that quickly? But I think both of those programs um, were able to put Band-Aids in certain positions and be a little bit better. But I think both of those programs take a slight step back. I mean, I'm not talking five and seven by any means, Pat, but I think they do take a step back from the success that they had year one under Dan and year one under Jimbo. It's interesting to me that in in, uh, Hoover, we go back to Hoover, that they're going to have a load of quarterbacks from what I've been told. And I'm wondering if you think it's direct reaction to the fact that the big Ten's not bringing a lot of them. You know, uh, the, uh, Trevor Lawrence is not coming, you know, from Clemson. The Big Ten is uh, bringing a punter at some point. I mean, that, that's just so on brand for the Big Ten, right? Um, so that doesn't shock me. Yeah, but I also think, too, I don't think it's a reaction to anyone going, hey, we need to – you know, I don't think it's a league coming in and going, hey, let's make sure we're showcasing our, our quarterbacks. I think that right now we find ourselves coming into this year, Pat, as you know – that there's pretty defined quarterback play. You know, I, I was thinking about all the, you know, this is probably outside of, you know, Arkansas and Auburn, the, probably the least amount of quote unquote quarterback battles that we've really had going into a season in a while. And you had a lot of guys like from Tua, um, you know, even Terry Wilson at Kentucky that have been there before that I think those, those positions are defined pretty well. Yeah, when you look at, at this Florida team now, and I, I, I think everybody has the same reaction. They've got a pretty good, obviously, the skill players, running backs. You've got a quarterback. You'd like to see if he can go from good to great. He went from bad to good. But it's still going to come down to that offensive line, and I don't think any of us are going to know until they're, you know, maybe even through September. Yeah, I mean, again, it could be one of two different things, right? You could have the situation where it was, what, two years ago where Georgia had nothing on their offensive line. They didn't know who the heck they had. They had a lot of recruits, but they didn't know what they actually had in those recruits. And they go on and, you know, they're second and 26 from winning a national championship with a, you know, unheralded, uh, quote-unquote, unknown offensive line. Or is it going to be more like Auburn last year, who Stidham was – Stidham, I think, is a you know, NFL-caliber quarterback. I think that they have some – playmakers there but the offensive line was so atrocious that he never really had time to shine and I I, unfortunately I think it's a little bit more of the latter down in Gainesville is the fact that when you lose that much you know that much talent coming off of that offensive line what four I think four starters right Right. that are going to be gone and and then you don't have a whole lot of depth that's that's killer and I think that that's why when people when I see a lot of people saying hey Florida and Georgia are right there hand in hand I go, well, hold up for a second. Like, Georgia's offensive line right now, I think they have three NFLers on it right now. So, I mean, I think it's just the depth of that position that really uh, changed it. Because guess what? Wide receiver-wise and quarterback-wise, you absolutely have to have Florida over Georgia, right? Yeah, I I would, yeah, no question. Uh, Especially with what Georgia lost at wide receiver. You know, you added in the kid that, that actually really hurt Florida last year, uh, Holloman, who scored two touchdowns against Florida, now booted off the team. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be rough for them. Uh, but, you know, that's the thing with, with Alabama and Georgia both. They've recruited so well, it's hard to imagine them not being in Atlanta again. I think we're all going to pick them to go to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, and, again, this is not one of those ones where I think everybody has, has to – 
you know, kind of get cute and go, oh, it's this team, it's the sleeper team or whatnot. I think, you know, I think it'll be Alabama and Georgia that are picked. To me, it's really, I think, the teams that are on that second level. And to me, it's LSU with Joe Burrow. I mean, everyone that I talk to in Baton Rouge absolutely loves this offense. Burrow's talking about it. The wide receivers are talking about it. You know, they had, they had the addition of Joe Brady, the coordinator, passing game coordinator for the Saints. So they're, they're pumped. And I think Missouri is going to be a team, Pat, that not a lot of people give a, you know, yeah. a, a bunch of love to. But, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, they're under that bowl ban right now that they're still trying to appeal. And the fact that with this transfer portal, they have the least amount of players in the SEC that transferred out of that program, even though they have the bowl ban, you know, over their head. That tells me everything I need to know about what Barry Odom is getting kids to buy in right now. Right, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I, I think when you look at their offensive line, their skill guys, their tight end, of course, uh, they, you know, if Kelly Bryant can be an SEC quarterback. Um, I'm not sure about their defense, but I think offensively they could be still dangerous even with Drew Locke on. Well, and also take a look at their crossover opponents, right? The crossover opponents being Arkansas and Ole Miss. So, I right. mean, that's, that's, that's the best situation that you can have is you catch these guys at that situation where Arkansas and Matt Luke squatted are trying to uh, are trying to take it to that next level. Last thing for you. Oh, who, oh, who, Bo, who, Bo, Bo is not happy with okay, my Missouri well, take whatsoever. Okay, you can tell. I'll get you off on this. Uh, who is do you think right now, if you had to pick the 14th best team in the conference, uh, who would it be? That's a that's a very proper way of saying who's the worst team in the conference. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that how you do it? That's how that's I how do it. That's how I know you're a professional. Um, <laughs> to me, I think it's Vandy. I think it's Vandy this year. I think you know Derek Mason has done such a you know a solid job at Vandy trying to just put up with the sheer numbers. Now I've been down there a couple of times, Pat, in spring ball. And, you know, where I'm, I'm coming from the week before at Athens where they have 100 players and right. Florida has 100 players, and Vandy has 68 in spring ball. I think they, they lose Kyle Shermer. I just think that's going to be an issue. So I think they're the 14th best team in the SEC. There you go. They got that going for them. We will let you go. Peter Burns from the SEC Network. Always enjoy having him on, and we will have him on as we go through the season. We'll be right back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Okay, thanks to Peter, and uh, appreciate his, unfortunately for him, I'm actually kind of fortunate for him, I guess, because you always like to spend time with your family, but his daughter came home sick from school, so that's why you heard a lot of her, but uh, certainly I have a lot of patience for that, really, believe it or not, I do, um, and we uh, love having Peter on. Um, all right, I, I, I did, you know, it was kind of weird, I was actually at a 4th of July party and uh, we were actually heading over there when I found out about Mr. Tubitz, George Edmondson, passing away. And I called the desk and said, hey, do you – I got my computer with me. Do you want me to pull it out? No, 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 you're off today. Go ahead and they've got it covered. Um, and I, I was thinking about what I wanted to say about it. And then a lot of people on Twitter and other places talked about what they should do to honor him. Uh, should he be in the ring of honor? Should he be? Uh, should they have a statue erected to him? Um, I think there was one suggestion about putting a, the uh, 
orange and blue tie and the yellow shirt uh, stenciled in on the field. Uh, here's here's my feeling on, on this, and and I think the world of guy. I've interviewed him several times when he was alive, of course, and um, what he he did so much for Florida. Not only not only becoming a symbol for Florida and being uh, a big deal around here, but scholarships he set up for cheerleaders as well. Uh, but he's a local uh, tradition. It's not a national thing. You know, that uh, you look at what's what there's a difference between a national tradition where everybody knows it and a local. I think Mr. Tubis was more of a gator thing, but fans in Oregon probably had no idea who he is. But when I thought about what they could do to honor him now that he's passed away, my my first let, let me just take him one at a time. Ring of Honor, no. And it's not because he wasn't a player. Some people say, well, he, he didn't, wasn't a player. No, I can't get players who belong in the Ring of Honor in the Ring of Honor. Guys who played here and were tremendous and contributed amazing things to a football program, academic All-Americans, All-American. I can't get them in. And I've been fighting for those guys. I've been fighting for Lomas Brown, Carlos Alvarez, guys like that. So I'm not going to fight, turn around. I, that's that. Mr. Tubitz is not a fight I want to have. I don't. I don't want to deal with that. And nothing against him, but there are people who still belong in. Before we get to somebody like that, um, as far as um, a statue, I think that may be a little much. It's just my personal opinion. Uh, something on the field or on the on a, on the wall, I think would be cool. You know, like a a yellow shirt with a orange and blue tie. I think you painted one of those up on the wall. Uh, and just put it up there, and everybody didn't. You didn't need all. It said Mr. Two Bits. I think that'd be great. But the bottom line is this: he gets honored at every home game. He is honored at every single home game when they ask somebody to go out and be Mr. Two Bits. No, there's nobody who has got a better honor, except maybe Steve Spurrier, because the field's named after him. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you Steve Spurrier. But the bottom line is, you might go into a game. And I may be way out of off here because where we sit in the press box, you can't see the Ring of Honor. Just way, the way it is. But you may go into the game and never even glance up at the Ring of Honor or even notice it or even, you know. But you know Mr. Tubitz. You know you know who it is and you know to be in your seats when it happens and when it's especially when it's somebody really special. Chris Collinsworth last year was amazing. So he's honored every time the Gators take the field. That, to me, is a pretty darn big honor. And I'm good with that being the honor for him. If they want to do something else, that's great, too. Ring of Honor, no, though. And we won't get going on the Ring of Honor. Um, Did want to bring up Peter Alonzo winning the home run contest. Good for him. Uh, Peter Alonzo, it's an amazing story to me. And I actually talked to Sully about this a couple weeks ago and wrote about it. I mean, he was a really good player here. But did I think he was going to be what he's become? No. Did Sully? No. Did anybody in Major League Baseball? No. He's just keep, he's a hard worker. Um, and as, and as you can see it, how he's changed his body. And he's also, like everybody else in baseball has become, everybody swings for the fences. How many homers do you hit? It's all about that now. And 
you know, Verlander saying the balls have been juiced and they kind of admitted that they have been. They want to get the homer numbers up. You might as well swing for it. You know, put the shift on. I'm not going to lay a bunt down. I got to hit the homer. That's what I'm getting paid for. But congratulations to him. I, I, I am. It was kind of weird because I was, you know, I'm a Ronald Acuna guy too, man. That was hard. I did have it on though. But I had it on the second TV because I couldn't stand to listen to the announcers. And what do you think? I You'll never guess what I had on the other TV because it wasn't on TV. I had it on tape and I decided to watch it. The 2007 National Championship basketball game. Um, that was uh, fun to watch. And, and one reason I wanted to watch it was because in the documentary they did, Billy talked about how he told Joe, you're going to have – one-on-one on Odin the entire game. There's, I, 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 I can't take a, I can't fall off the threes. They'll kill us with threes. And that was, the, you know, the, the narrative. So I watched the game to watch it for that. That really didn't happen that much. Mostly, it was, it was they threw everybody at him. They threw Horford at him, at Odin. They threw Maurice Spates coming off the bench, the freshman. They threw... Chris Richards at him. And those guys played their tails off. And they do know Adam a little bit too. And it wasn't that Florida defended the three real well. It was that they just couldn't make shots. Ohio State just couldn't make shots watching that game again. And Florida plays so good like as a team. It's just amazing to sit there and watch them play. And I'm not casting aspersions on last year's Florida basketball team. We, we all saw them play. But to watch them after watching that last year, light years. It's unbelievable. Now, they won the national title. There's a reason why they were so good. And, there's a, and you know, that's the thing. When you can get guys – I actually had a talk with Mike White today. We sat down for a little bit, and I was telling him this. I said, man, it's almost like if you could show everybody on your team that 2007 national championship game and point out – these guys, these guys got it. If you can get it, you can be at that level. You can be that good. I'm not saying you win the national championship because we know it's really hard to do. Ask Zion Williamson. Ask Kentucky. It's hard to win national titles. I'm talking about Kentucky under Cal Perry. They've won one. So the, the point is, when you play together as a team, we, we saw the greatest example of it was not that team, though. It was not. That team was the best team that I think – I think it's one of the three or four best teams that ever played college basketball. And I think it's by far the best team that ever played here. But the team that played best together, the team as a played as a team, understood their roles and overachieved, obviously – was the team with Patrick Young and, and Will You Get and Casey Prather who went to the net, to the Final Four. I had team and won thirty straight games. That to me is still one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen in my life. And that team played was totally about playing as a team. If this team can get that, they've got the talent. I mean, they love what they've got over there now, especially getting Kerry Blackshear. You know, so you go out there. You're, the big battle is going to be Noah Locke and Trey Mann for that fifth spot, basically, on the team because Scotty Lewis is going to start. He 
you know, you always hear, well, that he's a one and doneer. This guy, yeah, is a one and doneer. You know, you got Nemhard. Obviously, you got Keontae Johnson, and then um, what are you going to do? And, and and you can go big with some of those other guys. Obviously, Stokes being gone, no great loss there. Um, you know, he he was he was a little bit of an enigma for them, and I think in terms of just getting getting it, and that's what it's all about. I, I it's just about getting it. Look, and and I've talked to I, I'm I'm dealing with my daughter who's getting ready to go to UF right now the opportunity you have here's an opportunity to get a degree from a great institution if you're a student athlete at florida you got an opportunity to have unbelievable nutrition people helping you eat people helping you with every class you have tutoring you and i'm not saying you don't work your tails off you do but the opportunity is there for you to be great as a student socially and as an athlete, it's there. And it's that way at a lot of places. It's that way at Alabama and Clemson and other places football-wise. Uh, certainly it's that way at Kentucky basketball. And they're getting there in football. The op- All I'm saying is the opportunities here, I, I, I only feel bad when guys don't take it, take advantage of it. But they don't sometimes. So it'll be interesting to see what this Florida basketball team um, – it, it feels like they're really deep. We thought that last year. They really weren't as deep as we thought uh, because of some injuries and then, of course, the Keystone injury. But there, believe me, there's been some addition by subtraction for Florida. Um, I don't want to get into specifics, but they didn't lose anybody they, that was that big a deal. They have not lost one player that really is going to hurt them. The problem is they're going to end up with two uh, – they'll probably bring in another kid – There'll be two uh, transfers who won't be able to play this year. So you're you're down to 11 right away. If Gak, you never know what Gak's going to do physically. You could be down to 10. Uh, the other kid, Jatobu, I'm probably pronouncing that name wrong. If he can get into shape, he could play some this year. So it's not as deep a roster as it looks, but I think the biggest thing is you got different guys to go to. Different guys you can say, hey, we need a basket, you know. All right, they're going to double team Blackshear. Kick, he, just kick it out. Get Nemhard open. Get Locke open. You know, let Scotty Lewis take it to the basket. I think it's going to be a really fun year to watch this basketball team. All right, let's go to three things. It's time for three things. Number one, I, I want to give an absolute. Shout out to women's soccer. I watched a lot of it. Uh, it's about the only time of year I watch soccer is when it's the World Cup, either men or women. Um, not a big soccer guy, but I, I respect them. I don't dislike the sport. I just don't. It's hard for me to sit and watch nil-nil for 90 minutes sometimes. So I'm a, I'm a big offensive guy. But I really kind of – fell in love with this team which i think a lot of people did not everybody did as we know some of you didn't like some of the things that were said and uh you have your right to that opinion somebody made a point that i i probably didn't make a good point when i said people some people don't understand freedom of speech your freedom of speech is to not watch it your freedom of speech but here's here's the one that that cracked me up It, it does crack me up if you don't want to watch 
soccer because you don't like Megan Rapino and what she said, that's fine. She took a knee a long time ago. Okay? If, if all that bothers you, that's your prerogative. But to me, to say she or they or anybody on that team is un-American, so I'm rooting for England, the, that, doesn't that make you un-American? <laughs> that, that doesn't work both ways. I'm, I'm rooting for the Netherlands because I don't like our Americans because they're anti-American. Well, then, so are you. I just it'd be great just to have a sporting event without anything around it. Number two, this NBA free agency thing has been the most amazing thing to watch. Stop by your, you know, TV and go, whoa, what, what? Wait, who, what, hell? Yeah, it's been incredible, and it, the feeling is that we're about to have a really wide open NBA, and. That's fine. Um, but the bottom line is, unless you're in an NBA city or a big NBA fan, and it's still not quite the, the sport, of course, of the NFL, um, is game nine still going to matter that much? No. It's all going to be about the playoffs, I think, for most of us. And uh, But it's going to be interesting. And I just – I feel for my man Billy, Billy Donovan. I don't know what – I guess they're going to rebuild, and I, I hope – everything goes okay with him but you know it's uh it's a shame what what's happened out there but i will say this everything i've ever been i've been told by people who know billy saw this stuff coming that has scandalized college basketball and was growing weary of it and that was a big reason why he left and got out of the college game that's another reason why everybody goes, oh, he's going to go to Michigan. He's going to go to Indiana when that job was open. No, he, he really doesn't want to go back to college. I don't, I don't believe. I ne- we've never had this conversation. I don't believe he does because it's just so freaking corrupt right now. All right, finally, number three, just wanted to shout out to Jeff Lynn's ELO, which we saw on uh, – what day was that? Sunday? I'm trying, yes, it was Sunday. Sunday, um, Frank Frangie organized a trip. It was uh, six of us went down. John Osher, who covers the Jaguars for their website. Uh, Matt Hayes, my good friend who uh, writes for a bunch of different Bleacher Report and also does a lot of radio up in Jacksonville. And, um, and of course, Frank and I and Randy Rager. And we just had a blast going down. A lot of great stories. A lot of great stories. There were some stories that I wish I could tell you. But it would cause a lot of controversy. So I'm not going to. Um, but uh, the concert was incredible. And those boys looked out for this old man who was hobbling around still on this knee that is about 11 weeks done. Still bother me a little bit. Um, they looked out for me, made sure I could. I got to my seat okay without falling down. And it just – I sat there for two hour, two hours. And just was mesmerized how great the show was. It was it was great. Um, appreciated it. And also Danny Harrison, who of course is uh, George Harrison's son, was the opening band. Um, he redeemed himself. I will say this: they played about six or seven songs. They, they were a good band. Their songs weren't very good, and he's not a very good singer. But he came out to do "Handle with Care." 
as a member of the Wilburys with with Jeff Lynn, of course, um, one of only two surviving members of the Wilburys, which makes me very sad. And he did a really good job of that. So he redeemed himself there. All right, that's going to do it. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this. Uh, We will be back in two weeks, I believe it'll be, because next week, obviously, we will be uh, in Hoover, the town that sidewalks forgot. Look forward to it. Look forward to joining you again. Until then, I'm Pat Dooley. I'm the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I'm deep. I'm way back. And I'm out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.